Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer's got a brand new show out now about NFL player Cam Newton called The Cam Chronicles. We'll be releasing new episodes every Monday for the next six weeks, but you can binge all six episodes right now for free on Spotify. Here's a quick trailer. From The Ringer, I'm Tyler Tons, hosting a new podcast series, The Cam Chronicles. NFL star Cam Newton has always been a complex figure. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. The Ringer NFL Show presents Cam Chronicles. Listen to the full series now on Spotify. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Varney, and joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Quarantine, Kevin! <laughs> what's going so, on? we are, keep our fingers crossed, two weeks from today, mm. we have a chance, that's all I'm going to say, we have a chance that we will be talking about NBA basketball games that were played the evening prior. Let's hope against hope that that can all happen. There was big news, including one of those teams that is going to be featured on opening night, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans. And Zion Williamson, the news broke yesterday that he was having to leave the bubble to deal with an urgent family matter. Now, I will tell you that as soon as you see this story, I get get scared for the kid. Because usually, if it is something that is not personal, that is easily explained to the general public, they say it. You're right. Everybody says because he's dealing with blank, blank, blank. It's always, I always come at it um, very timid when I see a story like that. And, And my first reaction is, geez, man, I hope everything is okay. Because you know, you know, in this case, it has to be serious for you to deal with everything that comes along with leaving the bubble. And you have to be able to go back and say, I don't care. Like, I mean, that, that that is this, this all this basketball and all of this, this is secondary to what is going on in my life. So obviously our thoughts are with Zion and whatever is going on, but the lack of uh, anything specific that made me, that made me worry yesterday. What about you? I mean, there's been a lack of transparency with everything. Yep. You know, with, with the players who are there or aren't there, you know, coaches, you know, saying like Marcus Morris is, isn't, you know, with his team yet. Markeith Morris isn't with his team yet. I mean, there's a lack of clarity of Landry Shamus with the Clippers. There's so many guys we don't know if they're there, why they're not there. And I mean, understandably so, you know, with, you know, if they tested positive or not. But the the lack of clarity is true across the league right now. And, and with Zion, uh, hopefully for him, you know, they say it's a, a family medical emergency. Hopefully everything's okay, um, whatever it may be. Um, I mean, you, you wish that for anybody who, who's not there right now uh, for any particular reason. Uh, and for, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans, this is, you know, Chris Haynes also reported yesterday that he was having like cramps. Oh, no, sorry, sorry it was Shams Sharania. Reported yesterday that uh, he was having cramps at practice too. So you know, what I mean, like, there's the the 
the COVID health related aspect and there's also the physical health related aspect. And apparently, you know, Shams did say that that was no big deal. Um, but it's still part of it. I mean, you don't like to hear that. So uh, hopefully all, all is good for Zion and he's able to, to get back and help New Orleans uh, make a push for the postseason. Yeah, since we last spoke, uh, there has been some news about guys that either weren't there or have gotten there. Malcolm Brogdon uh, now at Pacers practice, which is a good sign for them. Uh, James Harden showed up earlier in the week, uh, and so he is now practicing with the Rockets, uh, getting rid of any kind of speculation regarding his situation, especially given the Westbrook news that had come out. And we had news on... Eric Bledsoe and him testing positive and not being with the Bucks out of nowhere. in Orlando. <laughs> out of um, nowhere, huh? Out of yeah, nowhere for Bledsoe. Yeah. Totally. Totally out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh testing positive and so he's not with the Bucks in Orlando. Um and then on the injury front, two interesting ones. You have this story uh that came out about Kemba Walker and his knee and you know, you had just talked, we had just talked earlier this week about the Celtics and especially if Tatum is that superstar level player that he was prior to the break, uh, that this could be a team really to be reckoned with in the Easter Conference. Kemba Walker uh, admitted in a media session that he's pretty frustrated to still be dealing with the left knee issue uh, for four months after the season was suspended. Um, but he says... He's, you know, optimistic that he's going to be able to improve in time for the playoffs, but it's clearly something he is still dealing with. I mean, if we're this far down the line and he's still bothered by his knee, she's, I mean, right? he's been, he's had three knee surgeries in his mm -hmm. career, I believe maybe four. Yeah. I mean, he's had knee issues for years now and look, man, like anytime you're, you're, you have four months off, which was effectively an off season. Yep. I mean, like, I mean, let, let's just look at it this way. Had bought, let's say this was a normal year. Boston makes the finals. You know, it's June. Four months later is October. It's been four months off. And if you're still having issues, that suggests that there's a, a deeper underlying issue still at play here. And this is a guy that's already had multiple knee surgeries on that same exact knee. Is somebody who is heavily reliant on speed, agility, you know, acceleration, deceleration, the explosiveness near the rim, even if not as a dunker, but as a small guy, you know, you gotta, you gotta have hops in order to, to score effectively layups. It's worrisome. It's worrisome for the longevity of his career. It's worrisome for Boston in the short term here for no doubt about that. Yeah. Because they went back and they started playing basketball again and it starts, you know, obviously it starts bothering him again yeah. as soon as they started playing. And like, we're still, a couple of weeks away from their playing a game. And he's talking about, he's optimistic that it could be good by the playoffs. Like, look, I, I get it. I, you know, that's certainly what you want to be true for his sake. That being said, Kev, it's four months. Like, I mean, you're kind of wishing on a star here. If you've been out four months, you went back and played basketball and it's bothering you. And you're saying that you're really frustrated about the whole thing. And then you're just hoping that, you know, it gets better by the time the playoffs come around. Like, what are the chances it just magically gets better by the time the playoffs come around if as soon as you got back on it and you're practicing with the team and playing five-on-five, five, it's bothering you again. It's just a matter of can you play through it, I think, and then deal with it in the offseason. 
for sure. And, and, and ultimately, this is why, I mean, these seeding games from an entertainment perspective aren't necessarily going to be the best, you know, compared to group stage or other formats they could have used. But for teams uh, like a guy with Kemba Walker, there is value in getting him back into a rhythm, getting him back healthy, and using these seeding games like an exhibition game. Like Boston has incentive to move up to the two seed, and you know, but the the fact is is that number one is making sure Kemba and other guys are at top tip top shape, and that's true for you know every single team that doesn't need to fight for playoff positioning right away, you know, or fight for the eight seed. But for a team like Boston, I mean, this is they're going to use yeah. these like exhibition games for a lot of players. Well, and when I looked at it, I immediately thought like, oh, geez, if he can't go or like, if he can't go by the time they get into the highest leverage games. I remember, I mean, they got a bunch of these young guys, you know, they've gotten Carson Edwards, they've gotten Tremont Waters, you know, these second round point guards. I mean, you just wonder. I mean, it's probably Marcus Smart, honestly, Marcus Smart point guard, and then just rely on the wings. They don't yeah. really have. They don't really have. I mean, Brad Wanamaker. I mean, they they don't they don't have the easy Kemba replacement. They've got a plethora of wings, but they don't really have an easy Kemba replacement. And obviously, the ball is going to be in Tatum's hands the most, and he you're going to run the offense through him. But just in terms of that position, um, it's it's interesting. I guess it would be. I, I I suppose it would probably be smart, you know, and you just play him. Yeah, I mean, but we'll we'll see we'll see when that time comes. Uh, you know, for Boston, hopefully Kemba is able to get back yeah. healthy or at least be more healthy than he was towards the end of the year when he was not that good. Okay, the other one was on Tuesday. We talked about this, Kev, with the whole Oladipo stuff. We had said that we had talked about their ceiling, and I had said, look, like there's six teams when Oladipo's in the mix. There's five when Oladipo's not in the mix. And I'm talking about contending for an Easter Conference title, in my estimation. Um, that being said, uh, there were stories that came out that now he was talking about playing, or there was a strong possibility that he was going to play. And we've gotten more clarity since we last spoke. And I'm not sure it's the, you know, it's the greatest situation. So as the story goes, there was a dispute about his health and salary. After sitting out about a year with a ruptured quadricep tendon uh, above his right knee, he played 13 games before the NBA season was shut down. Then when it came time to make a decision on playing in the restart, he said he was sitting out due to an increased injury risk during a quick ramp up to play. However, the league saw the games played and the fact that Oladipo traveled with the team to Orlando and is practicing full speed leading to increased optimism he'll play, and said that he would be counted as a player not out due to injury. Now, the reason this is significant is because Oladipo would not get paid for the games in Orlando, and that's $2.8 million if the Pacers got swept in the first round and $3.2 million if they played at least six games. And so I know that you know he's come out and said, I'm not even thinking about that, but I don't know how we went from you know what there it feels like there's always a backstory on something like this why would a guy say i'm not playing i'm not risking it i don't want to amp back up you and i worried aloud like geez man i hope he's able to be the same guy not unlike the kemba stuff it's been four months like he played 13 games he's been out four months if he's to the point now where he doesn't feel so strong i mean you would think a guy like that comes back and says i'm Pass the injury. I'm in the best shape of my life. This was great for me. Instead, he said, I don't really want to risk this. 
and so I'm not going to play. And then within a week's time, we've got, you know, there's a strong possibility I'm going to play. And then we find out, even though he says it's not because of the money, like it's three million bucks. And so you've got this dicey situation now, Kev, where it's like, if if he if he wasn't sacrificing the money, would he be playing? And I think it stands to reason probably not. But once he found out, it would cost him upwards of $3 million if he doesn't play and how the NBA would count him. That, I, I mean, I, 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 geez, obviously it's a catastrophe if something happens to the guy. Sure. But yeah, you wonder. No, no doubt about that. You know what I mean? Like, he clearly one year ahead of his next free agency when he's yeah, getting out of payday. Yeah. How much did he trust his body? And is he doing this because he doesn't want to sacrifice that $3 million, even if he doesn't really trust his body? I, 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 it's hard to know. You can't get inside his head. But that is certainly a factor that illuminated the whole situation. Sure, no doubt about that. And, and it's also possible that he did get into practice and he's like, man, I feel way better than I expected. Yeah. Maybe I should play. Maybe I should give this an opportunity. And maybe during, again, like during those seeding games, which are going to be used as exhibitions for a lot of teams, it's just the truth, uh, at least individual players. If a guy like Old Depot is able to go up there and play 10 minutes first game, 12 minutes second game, 15 minutes third game, 20 minutes fourth game, and slowly ramp his way up, maybe it becomes the type of thing where come playoff time, he's like, okay, I can go. Or maybe at that point, he says, you know what? It's in my best interest not to. I could see that happening for a player too, whether it's Victor Oladipo or somebody else who might be dealing with something that we don't know about. Or even a guy like Kemba might go and be like, you know what? I'm just not there. I'm not there. We don't know. Um, But for Oladipo, regardless of what the situation is, I mean, if he steps on that court, I hope like hell he's able to stay healthy, man. Yeah, and we talked about this when when it was opined, would anybody leave? And J.J. Redick and them uh, discussed it on the podcast and set a number on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I do think one of, the, uh, one of the underrated things in all this is once you're in that bubble and once you're literally only around the guys, like there's a peer pressure there. There just is. And so when Oladipo went there, it could for sure be a situation where he got there he started practicing, and like you say, he felt a lot better. There could also be the situation where you're there, and guys are like, "Come on, man, right? Like we need you. Like, like, like we can take a run at we can take a run at this thing." And so the peer uh, pressure aspect. Yes, yeah, there's yeah. peer pressure involved in that. I mean, if you're around the guys, and that's the only people you're around, and that's who you're talking to every day, it's hard to just say, "I'm out of here. See yeah. you guys." You know what I mean? Like, I'll see you next season. Everybody's like, what the hell, man? Right? So I the saw, fact that I saw a, a, it's easier couple, to do that if you don't go at all. Once you're there, it's hard. It, it, there's a story posted, and forgive me, I'm not sure who wrote it or, or where it was posted. I just kind of started scrolling through Twitter this morning, and someone talked about playing pickup basketball for the first time in like four months. Yeah. And in the tweet, it was just like, you step on the court and you can't resist the urge when someone says, hey, you want to play? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you're there at Disney World and you have your whole team, your opponents are in the same hotel and you're like, geez, how, how can I resist playing? Right. And so that may be the situation he's in and let's just yeah. hope he makes it through. Healthy. If he is healthy, Victor Oladipo, that's a totally different team. It just is. <laughs> and yeah. they're a team that can really put the fear of God in somebody in the first or a second round, possibly. They have outperformed all season. They have been better than we thought they were going to be all year. 
Um, and for a lot of the season, they were sitting in like a home court advantage slot for God's sakes. So they've had, they've had guys that greatly improved. They did a good job at free agency. You know, they got the guys like the Jeremy Lambs and the TJ Warrens and the TJ McConnells of the world and guys that have helped them and certainly helped them get by. And they have, they have withstood what would we would have thought killer injury and come out, you know, on the other side. McMillan's done a really good job with that team. And so, like I told you on Tuesday, you bring Oladipo and Brogdon to the party as your backcourt, there's no picnic for any of these teams. Could they beat the Bucks second round? Let's say they win their first-round matchup regardless of who it's against. They face Milwaukee in that second-round series. Milwaukee, let's just say no, no no variables at play. Nobody tests positive for COVID. They're healthy. Can Indiana beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series with Oladipo at 100%, with Brogdon at 100%? This is what I would say. No, but I do think that we could have six, seven games. You know what I'm saying? I do think that they would put up a fight against that team. They're not. They're not Milwaukee level. You know does, what I mean? Like, does Milwaukee just need to have a bad shooting series? They just don't have the great Giannis matchup. I know they've got the big guys, but they don't have somebody or some buddies that can uh, can slow him down a lot. I don't think. And that, that's what yeah. makes Philly the interesting. The, yeah, right. Because Philly has the bodies. They're they all seven throw foot Simmons tall. At you. Yeah, yeah, they can throw Horford at you. They can throw Embiid at, at Giannis. Yes. They have those big bodies and multiple of them. <laughs> yes. That, that can at least, you know, go out there and try to survive. And you're right. Indiana doesn't have those quite as much. Even Miami. Miami is a team that I, I would be scared of when it comes playoff time because we'll see what some of these older guys look like. But you're talking about, all these guys taking turns, whether it's Bam, obviously, but Bam Bio and uh, Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler. I mean, you've got you got all manner of interchangeable, tough wing guys that can at least log minutes. Like that can be that can be a group thing in in dealing with him. Did you see that story reported by Chris Haynes earlier this week? I believe it was after the Tuesday, Tuesday show that Jimmy Butler. Uh, it was bouncing the ball yes. in his hotel room but late yes. at night, and someone called about it. Had a noise complaint, and then yes. Jimmy Butler opens the door. He's just drenched, drenched in sweat, dribbling the ball. Is that not the most Jimmy Butler story of all time? The that's most gonna be Jimmy a, a, a that's gonna be a planted Jimmy Butler story. He called, he called the hotel and made a noise complaint himself. Right? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I do think that probably uh, look full jersey and sweat. <laughs> It is the most Jimmy Butler thing, but um, if it were me and I had the room underneath him, I would be going insane. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that is the most annoying. That would be the most annoying thing ever if I happened to be in the room underneath him, you know, and I'm just trying to cool out. I, I, I would. That is one. I get it. It's a hilarious story. It shows the work ethic, everything else. That being said, I don't view that as snitching. I don't view that as... Oh, no, that, that's, that's not, not snitching. That is anybody in the free world. If somebody was dribbling a basketball in the room above you, you're calling the hotline to be like, dude, stop. 
I, I, I come on. I can't I can't live like this. <laughs> <laughs> so annoying. Um but but it, for you know for Miami this year though, I mean like pe- people do forget that Jimmy Butler was a bucket in the postseason last year. He was really good for Philly. Yeah. I mean that team had its own share of problems, but they were still right there, you know, with Toronto. Yes. You know, before losing oh, that series. And Jimmy about- Butler was a big reason why. And so for Miami, they have that defensive versatility. They have shooting on offense, and they have a go-to scoring presence—a guy who can create his own shot at a high level. And Jimmy Butler. Well, and they're, with they're Embiid, tight. with Embiid, sometimes in, sometimes out. Um, Simmons is in the dunker spot. I mean, those games we'll came see. down to Jimmy versus Kawhi. And the great forgotten thing is Kawhi hit that shot. Jimmy Butler almost single-handedly won that thing for them. Like he is when push comes to shove, and you're in the last. Two minutes of a playoff game, I want him. Like, he he is the guy that will do everything in his power to try to win that basketball game uh, on both yeah. ends of the court. And so... Butler's, Butler's got his flaws, and I mean... Sure. He's like a third-tier star or something like that. No, I don't he's know, not. But, no, he's uh, not. No, yeah, he's whatever. not. Whatever. We want to put him second tier, third tier. We're talking semantics here. But, you know, he's, he's like a top 20 player. He you know? affects winning. And a yeah, lot of top the people, twenty player, top twenty player. Uh, I'm not saying third tier is some shot or whatever. He's a he's a great player, um, but but for Jimmy Butler, it's the type of thing where this this Miami team is better suited for him in a playoff situation because of the shooting they have around him, which hey, Philly didn't have. Well, I saw those projections that Kevin Pelton on ESPN did earlier this week. He has it projected if it played out to form, and it's not you know a lock or anything. But the way it was projected was Miami Philly first round. Oh my God. Could you imagine? And either of them feeding into Milwaukee is just an epic series, right? But that first, oh, yeah, uh, you yeah. would have Jimmy Butler versus Philly, the team he left. Holy mackerel. <laughs> the drama. I mean, and it's so yeah. weird because it, him and Embiid seem like buddies still, you know? Yeah. And who knows? Um, you probably have Jimmy Butler trying to recruit him the whole time, <laughs> knowing him. No, they're, they're, they're already recruiting Giannis. <laughs> Here's a big story that I feel like went along the wayside. It is not necessarily involved with the bubble or the teams that are there, but I want to get your perspective on this because you have been covering the draft for a long, long time. And I felt like it was a headline that just kind of passed over. And that is about this uh, Jonathan Kuminga who is a five-star player. His brother played at Texas Tech, so kind of everybody thought if he didn't go to the G League route, he was going to go to Texas Tech and play. But, I mean, the other teams that were in on him were a who's who. It's Auburn, it's Duke, it's Kentucky. Um, He is number one or certainly one of the highest-ranked players in all of the different recruiting services. He announced this week, since we last spoke, that he is going the G League route. Um, He is projected right now in the ESPN 2021 mock draft for what that's worth as a top five pick in that draft. And he now is deciding he's going the G League route. And so it was reported the number one player in the 2021 class. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. We've got this year, you already had Jalen Green who was the best player in the class by most people's account. Uh, Desheen Nix, who was the five-star point guard that was going to UCLA, he decommitted and said he was going to 
uh, the G League route. You have, and he's like a top 20 player. Isaiah Todd, who was a like top 20 player, uh, is going. And then there was another kid, Kai Soto, who is going. So there's four this year, okay? We're about to do a draft where LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton were at the very top. You know, and they both went. The, the G League route wasn't there. They both went and played overseas. So you got this year where possibly the number one pick of the draft was a high school kid that didn't play in college. You'll have uh, next year that is absolutely a possibility, especially with these kids all go to the G League. The next year, we already have the number one player saying that he's going to the G League. And then it stands to reason, Kev, I know this, the next year after that, it's Imani Bates. And I know he already said he's going to Michigan State, but I mean, what are the chances that kid, you know, at yeah, that point, we'll, you, we'll you see can go straight to the happens. pros. And yeah, so, yeah, we'll, well, see. The, we'll see. Here's the fascinating I mean, no guarantee, thing. No guarantee that rule will change for 2022. That's right. Well, but I mean, we'll see, though. Yeah, it but could. It, and, and even if it doesn't, I think now, like when you've already got the, you know, the next year, guys, and the best player in the class saying, I'm not going to college. Like, to me, this is extremely significant. Oh, um, no doubt about it. I mean, and this changes everything. If if now, you know, these guys that signed up this year, they didn't even know what the hell they were signing up for. And they did it. Well, now, and who knows how it's all going to play out. Because the G League's not, I mean, they're not finishing their season. And who knows what's going to happen next year with them trying to put one together, much like the NBA. But if you've already got, you know, feasibly the four best high school players four successive years in a row, it, uh, it teams that are guys in succession not going uh, to play college basketball. I just, I just thought that this kind of like, you know, kind of went by without much conversation or anything. But to me, it was okay. Is this just a one-off thing where Jalen Green and these kids are going to do this, or is this going to be a sign of a lot of kids doing this in the future? And when you've got the number one ranked kid already doing it, you know, without and he doesn't even know what it's like. He doesn't even know if Jalen Green and them are going to like it. He well, doesn't. He, he, even, knows he, he knows he's getting paid. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he doesn't know. Like we, paid we've legally, said, I should I should make that the, clear. Paid legally. Yes, we <laughs> have like said. How does this affect their? <laughs> How does this affect their draft stock by playing there, right? Um, well, I mean, you don't think Cade Cunningham wishes he would have gone? I mean, he's going to go know. play at Oklahoma State with no chance to play in the NCAA tournament. I mean, he might yeah. not even play a single college basketball game, if, depending not. on what happens with collegiate sports. We don't know. But, you know, for, for all these guys, it is certainly leading towards the NBA just changing the rules and allowing these guys to go straight from preps to pros as it was before. And I mean, we're heading down that path already. The the, the fa- fascinating part is that like we're having these guys do this already, even yeah. before the rule changes. And I do wonder if last year, you know, with Lamelo and RJ Hampton doing it, and and this year you have all these guys, top guys doing it. I do wonder if more and more could potentially do it for the following draft and the draft of that after that, depending on. It. Look, there's a certain amount of guys that should go straight from high school to the NBA. And there's certain guys that shouldn't, you know, where like they could, they would be better off playing one year elsewhere. That G League path is still going to exist. And there's a certain type of player that it, they may be more better off taking that route rather than entering their name into the draft one way. And I do wonder if 
it, when the rule changes, if it changes, if we're still going to see guys choose the Jalen Green path, the Kuminga path. And I wouldn't be shocked this? if we do. Uh, I don't think a Jalen Green, a Jalen Green level player wouldn't. He would go straight to the draft. But there's a, a, a level below that. Some of those other guys you mentioned, like an Isaiah Todd, where that G League path could be a lot better for them. Well, here, here's the other thing. Let's say now that this is going so successfully, are you less motivated if you are the NBA to put that rule in? Because yes. now you're both <laughs> you're bolstering this for business. Mm-hmm. You're saying, you know what? The best players in the country, we'll get them all every year. I mean, it is, it's just like recruiting, you know, where it, like, and now instead of a kid going to Kentucky or Duke or wherever, that's the path they're going. And so there's no reason. Like, A, you get that year of maturity and you get them under the NBA heading earlier. And we get rid of the, you know, uh, the sham in many cases that it is to put kids on a college campus for six months, right. To, to play college basketball. Um, and mo- I mean, college basketball is so friggin' dirty. It's unbelievable. Um, most of which you're having to do all kinds of deals in order to get these players on your campus in the first place. So the NBA just says, you know what? We don't have to make the rule change about going straight to the pro. We've got this alternative for you where you're going to make a lot of money for a year and you're under our umbrella for a year. And you get to live in Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying that's also that's right. another nice incentive. Well, uh, <laughs> maybe it gets bigger. You know what I'm saying? Maybe yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. grows from this. And all of a sudden that's, if you wanted to make the G league amazing, let them get, let them get drafted to the G league. You know what I'm saying? Something something that's been brought up to me over the years, like when there's been conversation about this rule changing or having a G League team just for prospects. How much is lost from players not getting big game experience at, in a call for a college basketball team? Like, what does it mean when you're not playing that UNC, you know, primetime game against Duke? Yeah. I think it's very, I, you look, know what I mean? Like, like very how, what's, beneficial. Lo- what's lost there? Very beneficial to a majority of players. But I would say with the elite level players, I would hold up and I would say, you think it affected Kobe? You think it affected Garnett? You think yeah. it affected LeBron? You think it, I mean, how how much did they need? That is something that traditionalists and college basketball lovers say. But the truth is, did that affect them? Did that really alter their progress? I mean, uh, Dwight Howard. I, I, I mean, these you. are the these are these are like Hall of Fame players. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't need to play in a Duke Carolina game. It's you know, in fairness, because I was one uh, when all the Lucas stuff was going on. But people were saying, you know, and, and were made fun of rightfully about like, oh, does he really need to play against Duke to prove to you <laughs> whatever? Now yeah, he yeah, was yeah. playing against professional kids, but in you know, Jalen Green is going to be playing professionally and. LaMelo Ball and R.J. Hampton just did. Yes, it's not NBA-level competition, but they did play against grown men in the leagues that they're playing in. I think, I, just, I think what's most valuable is playing against people who are better than you. Yeah, probably. Or people who are at least better athletes. And the G League experience for some of these guys will be that. Yeah. They'll, they'll get to play. I mean, apparently they'll get to play other G League teams or against other academies. You know, maybe the NBA could work something out or they face an NBA team in preseason. I don't know. I mean, right. you could always work that out in the future. But I do think that aspect of like what is lost with them not playing, you know, 
big college basketball games is a bit overblown because they play big high school games too, big sure. AAU games. They, you know, there's games that they've played in their in their life that have had importance. Uh, I think what has lost mostly is for the NBA. The from a scouting perspective, for league executives, they want to have what they're used to. They want to have you know this format that is something that has been the same yeah. for many years. And now this is a new variable that's hard to account for from a eye test perspective, but also from a analytics perspective too. It is more well, difficult to get an assessment with this is a new variable here. And let me say this: as uh, I've been around NBA teams for a long, long time now, and I've seen all manner of different kids come in after their freshman year. Air, there, Kevin, there is a massive, massive difference nowadays with the maturity of these guys, nineteen and twenty. They are no they they are no so much it. more mature than I ever was. Like I think back, sometimes I I will be talking to a Jaron Jackson or a John Morant or whatever, and I think about all the things that they're dealing with and the family and all the everything you know. People asking for tickets and all this kind of stuff, and and the and the life that they have. And I I cannot believe that they are twenty years old. I can't. They can't even get into a bar yet. Like I mean, I was still <laughs> in college at this time, and the kids are so much more mature. They just are than they used to be, even five, ten years ago. Like they're they're so much more prepared for this, and they are so much. Uh, even when you hear Zion talk and you hear RJ Barrett talk, I mean, these kids that come in the league now. I don't know. I felt like why sometimes, do you think that is? Why do you think that is? You've I been think, in, in sports media way yeah, longer than me. So I'm curious I, about your perspective there. Cause it's true. And everybody, everybody you talk to, whether it's a coach, executive, or another player, everybody says that. I think So why though? I think that and this is just my opinion, and I haven't done the research on this. Part of it is the connection with other people for so long. Part of it is that they are identified so young. The great ones are identified so young that they are used to having a microphone in their face all the time, even from the time they're 15 years old. Like when Imani Bates goes and like gets drafted, he will have done 700,000 interviews. The other thing is a lot of it can be it can be daunting to be on camera or to be around a microphone. The, these kids, they grow up on a camera and a microphone like they yep. do. They're not, they, it's not weird to be on camera. I mean, I remember even five years, 10 years ago, if you put a camera in a guy's face, sometimes they'd freeze up. If you put a microphone in front of them, sometimes they'd freeze up. That's just not so. They don't anymore. Um, and the other thing I would say, at least in my experience, is there are so many of these that have uh, so many of these guys, the young players that come in the NBA, that have unbelievable family structure, parents. I think there has just been so much education about all of the dangers that they can, you know, have and the people around them and everything else. Um, that you see so many, you see so many families more involved. That's what I would say. I think families are more involved than they have ever been before. And I do think that they are, you, you have a whole generation of people raising kids um, to be great men. I mean, I, I, I can, I can only, I, I'll tell you this, and I don't know how many people know this. Okay, so like Jaron Jackson's parents live by me. They're, they live here. They're in town. 
John Morant lives with his parents, like at home. Like they bought, he bought a house and they live at the house with them. And Jaron's parents are like, I don't know, probably a mile and a half from where he just got a place. And I've seen a lot of families now be with the kids when they get drafted and they've got that structure. So it's not 19 in an apartment by myself and my two best friends from high school or college come and live with me and I'm getting into stuff and maybe they're a bad influence. Like, I just, I feel like that's happened a lot. And I mean, you know, I've been in the AAU thing. I was at an AAU tournament a couple months ago. I mean, it is, there, there ain't a parent there that ain't massively involved with those kids. You know, you just see so many, it feels like a lot more adults are invested, you know, than, than they were before. Um, and so I, I don't, I, I don't know all the reasons, but that would be some of them for sure. Yeah, They're just I more mean, mature. It, undoubtedly, it's more than one reason. It's, it's yeah. many of them together and, and, uh, entering the league. I can't imagine what that's like at 18, yeah. 19, 20 years old. I just, I mean, I'm pretty good at putting myself in the shoes of others, but I have a hard time imagining what it's like to suddenly become a millionaire, to suddenly have so many people asking for tickets, asking for money, the stress of being, you know, under the spotlight right away like that. I, I can't imagine what that's like. It's such a formative age in your life. Um, and to see so many guys, you know, kids, you know, enter the league and handle it as well as they do and to become the great people that they do, the influential people that they do is, I mean, honestly, really inspiring to see. Yep. Uh, it's just a, just a league. It's a collection of so many great people. Yeah. And there's not that many, like, I mean, like, geez, I'd have to go all the way back. Like, it's been a more recent trend with the families, you know, being involved even their rookie year. Pau Gasol, when he got drafted, his parents moved from Spain and they were around. But a lot of these kids, they're they're out on their own immediately. And I just think that, you know, now... I don't know. I think they've got so much more guidance than ever before. And they're just so much more grown up. They really are. Um, more, more than me when I was 19. That's for sure. <laughs> man, I cannot imagine. I can't imagine. A um, couple other things real quick. You wrote this article. I want to alert everybody to go read it. You're running through the teams that are at the bubble. Um, and I'm not going to go through it uh, team by team. But I do want to ask you about one certain thing that I read. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not bad. Oh, oh, no, it's not. Okay. It's not bad. No. I was reading through all the teams. Obviously, the Grizzlies ranking is ridiculous, but. Oh, yeah. um, That's what I was getting. That's what I was laughing about. I'm kidding with you. I did that just for you. (laughs) It was actually, this is what I wanted to ask you about. It was actually weirdly in the Spurs thing because I wanted to, and and nobody out there, people, when I say this, are going to be like, who the hell cares? But you mentioned him. So I do want to ask about it. And it was in reference to you stall young players by them not getting the minutes and the opportunity that they would get if they were in a different situation. But if they're playing behind DeMar DeRozan at shooting guard, if they're playing behind LaMarcus Aldridge, it can stall them. And you brought up one guy who's going to be a free agent in the not-too-distant future, and that's Jakob Portal, who was part of the big trade. And you mentioned him, and I wonder. I wanted to ask you this. Do you think Portal is more like Tiago Splitter, who was there, you know, people had a high opinion of. He obviously went over to Bud in Atlanta. We we frankly never heard of the guy again, right? But 
you could have argued if he was in a different situation and not with Tim Duncan and the group, he would have played more, right? Or is he more Davis Bertans where we could look up, somebody ends up with Jakob Portal, and we go, well, geez, they should have kept him. You know what I mean? Like, why did they... Why, why did they let this guy walk? And so he's more Bertans. He's he more is. Bertans. You and, could and see a situation where Portal ends up becoming a walking Spurs mistake. Like he walks and he shows up somewhere else, and we go, boy, they should have might have kept him. I mean, fact. I mean, just to give a little context of why we're talking about Jacob Portal yeah. in in the in the in the power rankings. Uh, you know, I'm re re ranking all the teams ahead of right. you know the restart. And with the Spurs, my blurb in there is about how Aldridge is out after shoulder shoulder surgery, which means Jacob Pertle is now finally going to get his opportunity to get, you know, over 20 minutes per game. You would think, and, you know, recently he said in a translated interview with the Austrian press agency, he said, quote, I don't know if that's an optimal situation for me another year. I would be interested to look at at least a few other options and maybe find something that fits the concept better. I'm going into my fifth year in the NBA. I'm not saying now that from the start, I expected to play 30 minutes in my fifth year, but I expected progress every year, end quote. And he went from playing 19 minutes per game with the Raptors in his final season to playing 16.6 minutes per game the last two years with San Antonio. So his numbers have dipped despite the fact he has gotten better as a player. He's gotten better on the defensive end of the floor. He's continued to enhance his offense. I mean, he's a really good passer for a big man, really good screener, good finisher around the rim. I mean, I I, I would love to see him with like a, a, a downhill pick and roll playmaker and see what he can do in the pick and roll. I mean, Pirtle's a, Pirtle's a good two-way player. And, and the fact is, is that his numbers have dropped. And so for San Antonio, Aldridge out now, you would think he's going to get more opportunity. So Will he be a guy that's one of those under the radar free agents that someone scoops from the Spurs? Or are they going to find out, hey, man, like we got to trade Aldridge and go young here, go with the youth movement? Because they have a lot of young talent on their team, like the Lonnie Walkers of the world in the backcourt and then Pirtle in the frontcourt. The reason I wanted to ask you about that is honestly, just totally in reference to the Bertons thing. Because it, it yeah. just happened. It just happened. Mm-hmm. And now I'm reading your article and I'm like, damn, man, they got another one? Like, they, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of yeah. stuck. And, like, because Bertans, he blew up this year. Like, he was a he was a spur, and people, you know, thought, you know, he's in the spur system, and we'll see if we ever hear from him again. And not only did you hear from him, in retrospect, this guy's going to get a, he's going to get paid yeah. a fortune. He's going to get wildly, I, I think he's going to get wildly overpaid, but good for him. I just get frustrated watching the Spurs sometimes. I mean, I wrote yeah. a story about them during the season about how they kind of have one foot in the past, one foot in the future. Yeah. You know, the past with the way they play with Aldridge and DeRozan. And it's kind of, it's fun to watch those guys play because it's a reminder of what the game once was. But then you watch their bench units, you know, with, with you know, Derek White out there, Patty Mills, no Aldridge. And they move the ball around, shoot a lot of threes. They play more of a progressive style. And I, but I get frustrated overall, though, because it's like we've seen Derek White and DeJounte Murray play only a, around 140 minutes together all season long. And those are their two young, really nice point guards. And maybe you play those guys together and they don't score enough points because neither of them are great scorers. But I would love to see what they can be in the defensive end two high end defensive players at the guard spot. We didn't see that. And that's because you're giving minutes to DeMar DeRozan. You have them on your roster. And, you know, you, you can't just not play DeRozan. You can't just trade him away when there's probably not much of a market for him, which there isn't. Um, 
San Antonio's in a great spot with their youth, but they're also in a tough spot with Aldridge, with DeRozan, and not many, not much interest out there for either guy, considering their age and considering their salary. So for San Antonio, uh, I look forward to seeing what they can do without Aldridge, who is their best player. But they're the way in which they play when he's not on the court is also highly effective. So I, I wouldn't rule them out in winning some games here and, and maybe grabbing that nine seed and having a chance against Memphis. I just can't rule that out. That's why I put them in the group, like the, the, the West bests for the eight seed, along with Portland and yeah. New Orleans. The other thing that stood out to me, Kev, was those Lillard numbers with Nurkic on the Dude. court. Those are oh startling. Yeah. They are startlingly great. Like it is a, radically like it's one of those things where if you watch them you know they miss Nurkic but when oh, yeah. you see the numbers of what Lillard on the court with Nurkic nets you it it's it's shocking that like that the numbers are what they are because that is that that that's not the numbers of a good team that is the numbers of a great basketball team and a team that frankly made the Western Conference Finals last year so this season Lillard you know this is the the Trailblazers with Lillard on the floor without Nurkic, which is every minute this season because Nurkic hasn't played. Right. They outscore teams by 1.3 points per 100 possessions. Last season with Nurkic uh, off the court with Lillard on the court, they outscored teams by 1.9 points per 100 possessions. Pretty much the equivalent of this season. You know, a, a solid team above average, which is what they've been with Lillard. However, with Lillard and Nurkic on the court last season, they outscored teams by 10.8 points per 100 possessions. They were dominant. And especially their defense was way better. Their their offense was slightly better too. And that's because of what Nurkic is on both ends of the floor. He's not a star player. He doesn't have a big name like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic at the big man position. But he had, in those final months with Portland, turned into a really, really great center. And somebody who does things that go beyond the box score with his screening ability, with his quick decision-making as a passer, uh, on uh, he's somebody who became a very good interior scorer for Lillard as a target in the pick and roll, made Lillard even better in the pick and roll. And just the nasty, I mean, he brought, he brought attitude to the court with his rebound and boxing out. Just, they miss a lot of their personality without Nurk and bringing him back. I mean, now you look at that bubble race, New Orleans, we'll see if Zion gets back. You know, San Antonio, eh? I mean, without Aldridge, Portland suddenly with Nurkic back and Zach Collins back. Are they are they the favorite to get that nine seed right now? I mean, already are they are statistically. They win any tiebreaker because they've played more games. So statistically, they have that edge. They have a harder schedule than some of the other teams. But with Nurkic back, are they the favorite for that nine seed? And are they the team that you fear most, Chris? If it's Nurkic and Collins, yeah, I could see them. I could see them tearing off. Do you fear them more than New Orleans? Like if Memphis is fa- if Memphis is playing in a, a postseason playing tournament series, one or two games against Portland, New Orleans, San Antonio, Sacramento, it's weird. Phoenix. Do the you, actual, you fear Portland most? The actual matchup, the I you know you got to play them. I I would say the Pelicans. I okay. I, I yeah because yeah the Grizzlies uh, they've got you know. For for Nurkic, they have Balanchunas, right? And John Morant goes right after uh Damian Lillard. And they've got they've got guys that can match up with that team. And the other thing is, you know, they're gonna probably play Carmelo big minutes. 
on the wing. And who knows how, you know, that may negate the Nurkic being back. I hate to say that, but sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, the Pelicans have beat the shit out of the Grizzlies. They played them twice. They got killed. Like, it was not pretty. And so, I have to say that. <laughs> I mean, Pelican, that's Pel only... Pelicans went... Pelicans yeah. went four and zero against Portland too. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing. I mean, so I've seen them play that team twice, and it was a disaster. I mean, they played them on national TV on Martin Luther King Day and got smoked. Yeah. And so it's just like that, and that's that was without Zion. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then they played them with Zion and got beat up pretty bad too. And so they've just gotten beat by that team. And so I feel like the matchup is actually. Uh, while I think Portland with Nurkic might be the better team, just in terms sure. of if you got to play sense. them in a play-in, um, I have no evidence, right? That <laughs> I mean, you got You got. They're going to play each other in the first eight games. Actually, um, that's what that's one of the games that's going to get those, played. Those so, games are going to be fun. Oh, for sure. But I mean, those are big numbers. That to your point about the whole plus ten point eight, just to put that in uh, in, in into uh, context. Look, Milwaukee has a plus 11.2 point differential this year. No one else is above eight for the season. So when I say those are the numbers of an elite team, Lillard with Nurkic on the court, those are the numbers of an elite team, like a high 50s, 60 win basketball team. I mean, like I just said, Milwaukee, they're the only one with a double digit point differential this season. So... I mean, we'll see. And and they haven't played together all season. So we'll see what Nurkic looks like and if it does net you the same kind of results as it did last season. Let's get to a couple of these uh, mailbag questions before we get out of here today. What we got, Bobby? Perfect transition. First question is from Matthew. I believe that the Bucks are easily the championship favorite this year with a comical 11.2 point differential and the MVP and defensive player of the year favorite in Giannis, just like you mentioned with the point differential, Chris. Still, I feel like the media and in my own conversations with people I only hear the Lakers or Clippers pitched as title favorites. My question is, if this is just classic LA bias, or if there is a serious argument against the Bucks that I am missing. Okay, there's I, I this I'll, I'll keep my answer short. Yes, there is LA bias, of course, <laughs> it, and it's just big city bias, right? Yeah, when yeah. you're in a small market versus when you're in a big market, there's a lot more people talking about you, and when you are where the jump is filmed, of course, there's going to be a lot more talk about you, and when you have big superstars, as those teams do, and even famous coaches, um, in in especially in the case of Doc Rivers. That being said, look, you have to win something. That's it. You have to win something. Like, yes, you you have to earn your benefit of the doubt and the credit. And the reason that they are not being talked about as the favorites is because it's not like it's you know, you know some uh, some group of goofies that people are saying are going to be better than the Bucks. It's LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then Kawhi, who's won titles in two different situations, and so. Those teams, we've seen them do it at the highest level. You got to win an Easter Conference Finals and 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 prove that. You know, get through that gauntlet, which they didn't last year. They lost to Kawhi, so you can't be favored. I I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think it's unreasonable, and I don't think it's just because they're in Los Angeles that people are not considering them the favorite overall. I think it's that those two teams have guys that have delivered when it mattered most. 
And so that's always going to get the benefit of the doubt. Sure. And I, I think there's also an element here that Toronto and Boston both can't be overlooked here as teams that are threats to Milwaukee. So I think part of the reason why some people look at Milwaukee as maybe a, a level below the LA teams for the for winning the finals is because Toronto and Boston are arguably closer to Milwaukee than some of the other teams in the West are to the Clippers and the Lakers. So from a competition standpoint, Toronto is a team that has used, you know, 14 different starting lineups this year, has had a, over 200 total games missed, has not really totally been healthy. Boston, we talked about Kemba being out earlier. They've had a lot of other guys that have been, that have been in and out of the lineup as well. You know, we don't know what that team looks like at full strength with Tatum being the 30 point per game scorer that he looked like he was turning into being. And with Toronto, look, man, I I, I don't I did this in the video last week, but it, it needs to be said again. Like you can't underrate the possibility that guys got better. And that's true for Milwaukee, too. But for someone like Siakam, who has gotten dramatically better each year, how, Fred Van Vliet, who got way better this year, how many guys are coming back from that Toronto squad, young players who are better again? This is this is you know the 2019-20 season part two here. This is not you know restarting things in March. This is July, and you can't rule out improvement from some of those teams that could close the gap on the Bucks. And not to mention last year in that game seven against Toronto, Giannis, you know they did a good job against him. He shot you know seven of sixteen, seven of eighteen from the floor, five of ten from the free throw line. Giannis has, hasn't gotten over that hump that Chris is alluding to that some of those other star players have. Well, so it's all those reasons why. And and while he is star of stars, Chris Middleton could walk down almost any street in America wearing his, I mean, unless he was wearing his jersey, nobody would stop him and ask him for an autograph. He's just not famous. He's not. Like, and that's part of why people You're talking from like a perception standpoint. Yeah, he's not famous. Yeah, yeah. He's a great player. He's not famous. People don't know the Bucks like they do these other teams part of that's because they're on tv all the time and they get talked about all the time i get that but mm -hmm. he's not famous all right we got a question about those uh those challengers in the west kev this comes from jacob everyone is talking about the rockets being a threat to beating the lakers i don't know if everybody is talking about that but we'll run with it <laughs> but am Murray i am i and crazy to think from the ringer <laughs> <laughs> shout out to sean you but am i crazy to think that the thunder have a better chance of sneaking past them in the second round if the standings stay the way they are today OKC three-point guard lineup has been deadly this year, and they have the best record since Thanksgiving. Um, I don't think you're crazy. I don't think you're crazy at all. I, I mean, again, this is a, a interesting circumstances here. You're talking about Chris Paul, a guy that has struggled to stay healthy in past postseason runs, but how valuable is it to look back at the past here when those April, May runs for him were following an 82-game season, and now he has a break and things are restarting in late July, maybe Chris Paul is more healthy than ever for a postseason run. Uh, I don't think it's crazy. I would say Houston has higher upside because of their style of play with all the shooting and all that. OKC is probably the safer bet. Uh, but ultimately, man, like this is what my video is about this week on the restart, which you can watch on the Ringers YouTube channel. <laughs> it was talking about NBA final sleepers. And, you know, we we did deep dives on Toronto and on Dallas. Uh, but any, there's any number of teams that you can look at and make a case for. And with OKC, their three guard lineup is freaking awesome and fun to watch. Uh, with Robertson getting back, I do wonder how that's going to help their defense, but I also wonder how that could hurt their offense too. These teams need a lot to break right for them. Um, I'd pick Houston over OKC though. I would love to see it. Love to see that. 
And here's the thing. You got to remember, Paul, he, he's been as good, if not the best, clutch player in the entire NBA this year. Yep. Like, that's yep. real. And you know, playoff games, they're nip-tuck. It's 90, it's 92 to 92. There's a minute and a half left. Like, dude, I want him on my team. I just do, you know? And he has delivered this year as much as he has delivered since, like, honestly, like, since probably he was in New Orleans where it was just like his, that feels like his team. He's going to decide that game. And so, boy, I'd like to have him in my foxhole. Paul has just been unbelievable. You've seen it so many times this season. He gets to his spot or he runs that pick and roll and kicks out to an open shooter. They don't have probably enough firepower, but I think they're going to put the fear of God in somebody for sure. That, that, that's what holds me back is I, I'm not yep. sure they have enough of enough weapons. Yep. That might to, to really win in a series, but but they're a really damn good team. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, I just don't see the firepower there that a team like Houston has or, or Dallas has. If you had to pick one non-LA team to come out of the West and say you win a million dollars if they win the West, which team are you guys <laughs> going with? Jeez. Memphis? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, look, y- Utah at the very beginning of the season, everybody was high on. They never really totally put it all together. And now they don't have Bogdanovich. So that's out for me. Denver, I mean, I want to see New Jokic. They're mega deep. And I, I also think that they would have a real advantage getting to play home games. Now that they're on a neutral, I, I kind of feel like a little bit of their advantage in a playoff series is mitigated. Um, did you watch my video this week, Chris? I'm curious about what your thoughts on Dallas. Okay, because I I would pick Houston of of those other teams because of their upside, but Dallas to me is underrated here. The thing that worries me about Dallas, it's almost the inverse of Oklahoma City. Okay, so Oklahoma City started out and it just wasn't like you know they were more of like a 500 team, a little under for quite a while, right at the beginning of the season, first six weeks of the season. And then they flipped up, have this amazing record post-Thanksgiving. Nobody really notices, but they've had this great record since Thanksgiving. Um, and the opposite is true of Dallas. They started out like a house of fire. They built this massive, they, they, they stored all of these wins. They've been close to a 500 team for a long time now. And I know that Luca was out for part of that, but... Which are they? Are they closer to the team that started out amazing? Or are they closer to the team that played like 500 basketball for the last couple of months? And not knowing, it's probably somewhere in the middle of that. They're probably not as good as they were at the beginning of the season. They're probably not as bad as they played the last couple of months of the season. But just given that we've got such an extended sample size of them playing 500 basketball for the last couple of months, I, you know, and I also think the teams take their lumps, and so it'll be their first time through it. I might say Oklahoma City. I'm serious. I might. You know, they got guys with they got guys with experience. Steven Adams has been in a lot of big games, and Chris Paul's obviously been in a lot of big games. I do think that three guard lineup brings something weird to you. I mean, I don't again, you're making me I, I don't see I have a hard time finding a scenario where those two aren't in it. Um but it, my, so my choice would be Oklahoma City or Houston for sure, just because Houston one night they're going to shoot twelve of fifty from three, and the net, and they're going to lose probably uh, by a lot, and then the next night they're going to hit twenty three of fifty 
and they're going to win by a lot. And so everything could be so random outcome wise with them um, that I, everything could be so random that uh, obviously you have to give them a puncher's chance in any series that they could do it four times. I guess, yeah, I'd say Oklahoma City or Houston, and I guess I'd fall on the Oklahoma City side just because I trust Chris Paul more than I do James Harden. <laughs> Either we have a lot of listeners in Portland or we have a lot of Damian Lillard fans or we have a, oh. lot of, a lot of people who listen to Chris Haynes on the Bill Simmons podcast say that you should worry about Portland coming out of the West because a lot of people emailed us with that very same theory that huh. Dame motivated Nurkic yeah. coming back. I don't know Zach Collins, uh, who everybody loves on I NBA Twitter. I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't. I think they could really make it a, an interesting series with the Lakers. I don't think they beat him. I wouldn't pick him, but it would not wouldn't shock me if that went six. Portland, I mean, look, Portland, if, if Nurkic is if Nurkic is back to being the guy that we saw last three months in 2019 before he got hurt, you can't rule out the possibility that they would give the Lakers a hell in a series. Well, because yeah, could beat him. Because Kev, you know that we all accept this. Portland wasn't good this year because of injury. Nothing else is the reason. Like, they didn't get a new coach. They didn't, like, all of a sudden have some guy regress a lot. They just, you or know. like, hate, they didn't hate each other. No, like, they don't hate yeah. each other. Like, they got a good culture going there. They weren't good this year because they got banged up badly. And so we all freely admit, if they would not have gotten banged up badly, Look, it's we're, we're a year removed from them being in the West Finals, for God's sakes. It's a good basketball team that probably would have had a lot of wins this year um, if they weren't injured. So it stands to reason if they're uninjured, we'd think they'd be really good. Why wouldn't they be really good? They've never not been really good when they've had their guys. <laughs> All right, we got time for a few more here. This one yeah. comes from Jacob, I think a different Jacob. Uh, with everything going on with the Nets and Wizards just losing Bradley Beal, Y'all have talked about those not being entertaining games. So I was wondering if you could replace one of those teams with a team outside of the bubble. Which team would you choose and why? The Hawks. That's a good good question. The team from outside of the bubble that you would put in. Oh, uh, Golden State. (laughs) I mean, is Steph going to play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming he's playing. So I'm assuming I mean, he's if, playing. If, if, he, if he's playing, sure. Yeah, yeah. that's but why. If, but right? if, if not, if not, it's Atlanta for me. I got, you know, because that's, yeah, well, who else are you going to pick? The Hornets? I mean, I'm, um, I mean, Minnesota, I'd love to watch too. With, with I can't D'Angelo believe you're Russell not saying, Kat. how are you not saying Cleveland so you can see Larry Nance? I mean, I mean, I mean, they'd be my third choice. <laughs> By the way, is it, we're, we're really only picking Easter Conference teams because unless we're going to pick the T-Wolves or the Warriors, we got to pick, like, they're the only ones yeah. that aren't there in the Western Conference. And so, I would I would say, look, I saw Steph playing golf last weekend on TV, so I I assume he's he's just fine. Um, he could be playing basketball, and so if I if Steph Curry was in the lineup, then for sure I'd want the Warriors there because again, they're only playing spoiler if they show up, and so that's who I'd choose for sure. All right, this question's from Hunter. Recently, the future Hall of Fame guard slash forward Vince Carter announced his retirement. My question is. Should the Lakers try to buy out Vince from the Hawks and sign him for the playoffs? It would be his last chance at a championship, and it would be such a great story. What do you He's think not- about Ringer, <laughs> Ringer co-worker Vince Carter going to the Lakers? I've talked to him about this a lot. You know, I got to know him in the three years he was here. Uh, one of my absolute favorites. He's not doing that. 
Yeah. I mean, he could have he could have chased at the end. He could have chased. I know he signed like three straight one year deals with the Hawks. Like he clearly had yeah. the opportunity to do that. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be a token non contributor at the end of the bench. You know, and like he did. That's not. That's not what he wanted. Like at the end of the day, you look up and you go, "Oh, he won a championship." McGrady was really close. You know, they did that. He played over in like China, and then the Spurs signed him the year that. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the year of the Ray Allen shot. He was actually on that team on the bench. But I mean, would anybody introduce Tracy McGrady as NBA champion? Tracy McGrady. Like, I don't think <laughs> it, there, there's something that bothers those competitive guys like that to where you would say NBA champion Vince Carter. Like, really? I, okay. I, you know, he, and especially if he wasn't on the team the whole year. No way would he just latch on to try to win a cheap ring. No way. That's just not Vince. He'd rather not have it than have it that way. All right, guys. uh, Let's close with some more geezer analytics. This comes from David. (laughs) I pulled the Ringer NBA Facebook group on the word geezer. The results. The question was, do you use the word geezer? 73 votes no. 69 votes yes. So it's more common than we think, Chris. Thank you. Who, who the hell is on Facebook anymore? <laughs> what? Shout out to our shout out to our Ringer NBA fans. Are you on real the, active on Facebook? Facebook page? No, absolutely. I not. I never look at Facebook. But oh, so but what are Facebook you is, what are you saying? What for? I mean, it's just because just because I'm not active on Facebook doesn't mean Facebook isn't yeah, but insanely it's like you, popular. But but your mom's on it every day, right? It Not does really, skew no. older. However, this yes. was a poll of the Ringer NBA show listeners group. So, you know. I never got, I never got, I never even, like, even back, like, post-college, I never had one. You know what happened? This is a true story. When, when it was, like, really getting going, whatever, I wasn't on it. And then after a while, it was kind of like, oh, well, I just never set that up. I never had, like, a MySpace or anything like that. I never set that up. And then, uh. I read this article. This is years ago, 10 years ago. And none of the other social medias were around that like 50% of divorces that year had mentioned Facebook as part of the stuff. And I said, you know what? I'll have my own set of issues, but it ain't going to be this. (laughs) And I figured anybody I wanted to talk to would find me anyway. You know what I mean? I don't need to know what some piece of crap i didn't care about in high school is doing now anyway uh, i i feel bad not looking at it often because that's where people usually wish like a happy birthday to each other and, no. and, I, and i and i and i missed a recent birthday um that i would have liked to wish to somebody because i didn't get that facebook reminder so i think what i gotta do is somebody who doesn't check facebook a lot is put their birthdays in my phone <laughs> and get a notification hey. oh wait i just came up with like a million dollar idea so there's probably a lot of people that thought this like you, right, Kev? You just start, like, you, obviously, you got to do a play on words with birthday, but you just take that one thing you do like about Facebook and you make it and you say, hey, for all of you, you don't have to have Facebook anymore to remember birthdays. We just have this one <laughs> little birthday thing so you and your friends can know each other's birthdays. It, it, it's called Google Calendar. Yeah, not right. <laughs> and install it. No, 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 no. Because, see, here's the thing. I don't want people to think I don't know their birthday already. I need that. I need something to tell me it's their birthday. Yeah. I do. Because I'm not going to remember it. 
And so now you have some kind of way. You just go on there and you enter your birthday and now you guys become friends and then everybody just knows each other's birthdays. Problem solved. Every single person I ever talked to about Facebook is like, I only use it for birthdays and events. There Those you are go. the two things, birthdays and events. Why did and I'm I like, save this for Shark Tank? I mean, <laughs> we sort of just... Mark Cuban, are you of, listening, Mark Cuban? Does this we sort count? of just <laughs> talked ourselves into reinventing a calendar, though, Chris, Mark I got to say. <laughs> this dude said Mark Cuban, are you like he would listen to this shit? Uh, you never know. Well, most, never know. one of the most pro-Luca podcasts out there. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> if you want to invest in it, you know my number, Mark. <laughs> All right. It's going to do it for today's show. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you, Kevin. I'll talk to you on Tuesday, Bobby Wagner, as always. Uh, man, we are close. We're close, Kev. We're close. We're, we're, we're getting close, guys. And I got extra excited this morning watching the latest NBA desktop uh, with, with Disney cover songs. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll let one of those play us out. But go check that on the Ringer's YouTube channel for sure. It's hilarious. We'll talk to you next week. Be our guest. Be our guest. Once you pass the COVID test, tie your mask around your neck and let the bubble do the rest. There's ping pong, PS4s, Disney's bathrobes at the door. Try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Just please don't post it to Twitter. Don't like food. Hate your room. That's too bad. You'll just make do. Because outside of the bubble, it's a mess. Go on and pack your suitcase. Put a mask on your face. Be our guest. We our guest. Be our guest. Cold friends fries. Cream of corn.